Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today on the Full Circle Podcast, Finding Your Way Home. I'm Gillian McMichael, your host, and my guest today is Jenna Lee Cabellion. Jenna Lee is a mother of two, a teacher, and the host of the Healing Snowflake podcast. She's been on a long journey of self-discovery in search of finding her true self and seeking true connection after looking for it in unhealthy ways when she was younger. Jenna Lee wants to help others and is doing doing such a good job by creating a platform where she has conversations with those who share their stories and wisdom in search of their authentic selves. She is an advocate for healing the trauma and conditioning that has shaped the millennial generation and her passion is to awaken and inspire others to learn, unlearn and relearn what we need to do in order to be the person we truly want to be. I am really excited to get into this conversation today with Jenna Lee. So let's get started. Welcome, Jenna Lee. Jenna Lee, welcome to the Full Circle Podcast, Finding Your Way Home. First of all, how are you feeling about our conversation today? I'm excited. What might be quite good just to begin with is just for us, well, for you just to tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so um, I am... 33. Uh, I'm an English teacher. And I moved to England when I was 10 years old from the Philippines. Um, My mother lived in England, and I was raised by my grandmother and my auntie. And yeah, so I grew up in the Philippines up until I was 10. And then my mom met my step stepdad and Mm -hmm. had my little sister. And then we moved and then she arranged for me to move here when I was 10. So yeah, I've been here since uh, I was 10 years old. And what else can I say? Yeah, went through my teenage years. I'm sure we'll dive into (laughs) the roller coaster that is the teenage years. And then I moved to London when I was 19. And I've been here ever since. All right. Yeah. Thank you. So you mentioned the teenage years. So obviously moving at 10 years old, mm. um, I would imagine that you'd already kind of formulated friendships and yeah. community where you were back home yeah. in the Philippines. So can you can you take me back a little bit and yeah. talk through some of those experiences that you felt? In it, in- well, I would say that disconnect started very early for me. Okay. Because like you said, I was 10 years old, Mm -hmm. I had my friends, I had my family. And at the time, being 10 years old, obviously you're quite oblivious to what's going on around you because you kind of just have to do what you're told to do. And I was raised very well by my grandmother and my auntie. I had a lovely, lovely life in the Philippines. But obviously I didn't grow up in a traditional Mm -hmm. family. My mum and dad weren't together uh, anymore. They split up when I was a baby. And my mum had to continue to work to support the family in the Philippines. And obviously now she had me to look after as well. So she sent me over to the Philippines with, um, to be looked after by my grandmother. And then I remember being around seven or eight and it sort of just clicked that everyone around me had a mom, a dad. And even though I was very loved, it was difficult because then I started to realize that I wasn't growing up like everybody else. Yeah. And even though I had connection with my mom co- consistently, it was still in the back of my mind that 
she was not with me. Mm. Um, my dad was also not in my life consistently. And he also lived abroad. So I saw him maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. And that made friendship very difficult for me because in the Philippines, family is very, very important. Yeah. And culture-wise, that's really your number one thing, really. Um, and then when I was nine, I was told that, oh, you're moving to England. And the thing is, this happens to a lot of Filipino children because a lot of um, children grow up without mothers because they have to be abroad to, yeah, earn, to, work, to, earn, yeah. mm-hmm. to work and earn a living. So I was told this and I didn't really know what to think of it because I'd only seen my mum maybe two or three times previously. And I didn't know her. She was really a stranger to me. And I considered my auntie to be my mother. It's quite hard though, right? Yeah, it's very, very hard. And then- Yeah, tell me more then. So my mum then arrived with my stepdad and my little sister who I'd never met. And, you know, it was very lovely. And I was assured that I was going to have a really good life. And, you know, and at the time, being a kid, especially being in the Philippines, the thought of being in a Western country Mm -hmm. excited everyone. But I just remember feeling very sad about about Mm. it. And I suppose nobody really knew at the time how to validate how I felt because it was more of a, you should be grateful that you are now being given a new life, which as an adult now, I understand why people felt that. Mm -hmm. And people only really told me what they knew at the time. So... And then I moved to England and obviously the culture shock was very, very intense. And I didn't really know how to navigate being in a country where I was a minority. So we lived in a small town in the West Midlands. And I remember being starting secondary school there. And I was probably, so for example, in in a secondary school setting, you have one year group, there's probably say 80 pupils in one year group. And it was only me and another pupil that was not white. And it was me and an an Indian girl. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I suppose this is just what it is and I just need to get used to it and it's fine and bearing in mind as well that I didn't speak much English at the time as well so yeah it was a very very weird time for me and I just and then you know I I was a good student always obedient always did what I was told and then came the years of 12 13 and I started to make friends with other people and I remember, so I read in a part of your book that you were like a chameleon. Mm-hmm. And I remember sort of, I was thinking, probably thinking at the time in my teenage years, that, oh, I'm just being um, accommodating to other people so that I can make friends. Yep. 
But now that I realized that I was actually pretending and I was changing myself to who I wasn't. And I, I probably did that for all of my teenage years. And when I look back, I think about how many times I changed my hair <laughs> to try and fit in. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, oh, I have to be able to stand out here, even though I stood out anyway, because I didn't look at like everybody else. But to me, that was a negative. So I would try and be the funny one. I would try and be the pretty one. Mm -hmm. And obviously at that time, at the time being a teenager, you start to get interested in boys. And I remember this boy, I was 14 and he made like a flippant comment about my nose. And this is another story that I really, really related with you in your book as well. And at the, you know, this moment I can laugh about it, but at the time I was, yeah, that, that was actually one of, one of the, a very poignant moment in mm -hmm. my life where things started to shift because I thought, oh, I am not good enough. And now I now need to change myself in order to fit in and to belong. Yeah. And only now as an adult, I'm starting to realize that what I actually wanted was to belong. Mm -hmm. And I did it in a lot of unhealthy ways. And and then I became 18, 19, and millennials will agree with me that we are the generation where the internet came at a dangerous time mm -hmm. because we were in our late teens, in our early twenties and it triggered questions in me like, why don't I have this? Why do, don't I look like this? Yep. And why haven't I achieved this yet? And my mental health just plummeted, really. That was a very, I would say a very dark time in my life. And I just don't, it's really funny because it, it's only really now that I realize that that was a very dark period in my life. But when you're going through it. You don't really necessarily recognize it do you, at the time. Don't recognize. It's interesting because actually your story is very, very similar mm. to, to, to some of the things I experienced when I was younger as a teenager and, and so forth. But what strikes me about that is that actually the good thing for me actually was that we didn't have the internet mm. because I think what what I experienced was bad enough. Yeah. And so I can actually imagine, I mean, I can see what happens now and, and so forth. But, so that must have been, I can really understand how difficult that time may have been. So when you said you went into a dark, dark place, mm -hmm. it's like you said, you didn't recognize it at the time, maybe or as much as at the time. So how did that show up in your behavior and mm. what was going on for you? Well, I mean, adding into my insecurity and my anxiety, I, my relationship with my mom started to break down a lot. Mm -hmm. I would say around when I left schools. Um, so when I was 17, I moved out of home because I was always arguing with mm -hmm. my mom. And when I look back, I can't even really remember why, but I just knew that I just felt at the time that nobody was hearing me mm -hmm. and nobody was understanding me, knowing now that I didn't take my time at all to understand my mother yeah. because I realize now that I held a lot of resentment towards her because I saw it as she neglected me. Mm -hmm. That's how I saw it. Yeah. And she tried to explain that she needed to do what she had to 
to be able to, for me to have a good life. But yeah. when you're a teenager, mm -hmm. it's a very difficult thing to understand because I would say victim mentality is at right. its strongest yeah. when you're a teen. Well, for me personally. Yeah. And I moved out when I was 17 and then I thought, oh, well, I'm good now. I have the freedom now to be who I am. But being a chameleon became stronger when I moved out because then it was, I was meeting different people. Mm. I was able to go out and make, even though, you know, some of the friends that I have from those years, I still have now, but I just, remember always thinking I need to be like my friend why am I not as pretty as my friend what can I do to change about myself and I was thinking that the most important thing is for me to get a boyfriend right that is the is that number the that was the answer was that it? was the answer that and that's gonna fix what's going on in my head that's why I'm so sad number one thing is to get a boyfriend mm -hmm. And I had a few of those in my um, teenage years. And I remember, and then it happened again when I said that at school, um, this boy made a comment about my nose. I had such a complex about my nose when I was younger, because, you know, it's a very typical Asian nose. And it was just, and now I love it, you know, when I'm as an adult now. And it's just, I remember thinking, I'm going to try and save for a nose job. <laughs> that was something that I, ha I thought I had in my head. And even now I'm thinking, gosh, you were, you're cr you were crazy to even think that. But at the time it's, I, I thought that that would fix everything for me. So, and then I started going out with this boy and then it happened again. He made a flippant comment. This time it wasn't about my nose. It was about that. Um, he just, he had a very like, very boyish personality. He was always bantering with his friends and he made a joke in front of his friends about me being Asian, something like that. Some, um, I talked about this previously in my, um, in my podcast. He basically joked saying that, oh, she's not as hot as Lucy Lou, but she'll do something like that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing. It's just, yeah, it's just rhyme, but that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> not because of what the comment was, but yeah. Yeah, and then I remember sitting there and I kind of laughed about it. And then I remember going home and I just cried. I just cried because I thought, again, somebody is saying that I'm not good enough. What is going on, you know? And so I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because what I'm hearing is you know, there's this reinforcements. So there's something already that's been implanted because mm -hmm. of your circumstance in relationship with your mum. Yeah. And what happened and where she needed to be and what she needed to do. There's then the sense of you coming into a new family. Yeah. Because you're leaving what you know. So you're kind of moving into unfamiliar territory, yeah. which also most probably raises questions around all of that. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? And mm. all of those things. And then you have that reinforced. Yeah. So... I'm keen to understand, obviously, because you, when you're reflecting, you're saying, well, I know that now and hindsight. Yeah. So yeah. I'm curious around how have you reconciled that over the years so that actually you you know that was just a, a kind of reinforcement of a thought and a belief that actually maybe wasn't true? I would say 
it took a lot of people, pe- friends mm-hmm. helped with that. Because when I turned 19, um, I moved to London and coming from a small town in England mm-hmm. where I was a minority, then moving to London and then I wasn't. And then I met a, a girl called Denisha. So we worked together in Topshop in Oxford Circus. That's how long ago it was. And I remember just being in awe of her and thinking she's proud to be black. Mm-hmm. And she's, or another girl, she's proud to be Muslim or she's proud to look the way she does. And I remember being thinking as well as being inspired by it thinking how do i get to up to that stage where i actually am happy to be myself but also battling with the idea of well do i need to be like them to like myself or to be loved by others i don't understand and and then i moved um, me and tanisha ended up li- living together and we just had a lot of conversations and she she marveled at the fact that I'm from a different country to her and we didn't look like each other. And I remember telling her about all the things that I've told you now about what's happened to me in the past. And she, and she said, yeah, I can imagine that's really hurtful, but you know that you shouldn't take things personally because I took, I take things, I was a very, I still am really, I'm a work in progress, but I took things personally. And I think when I awaken to taking things personally, I'm thinking, oh, these things have affected me so much because I took them personally instead of actually knowing that people just say things because they are, that they don't really mean you know? And yeah, I would say that that was the first stage of real life and working on um, not be building a shield to people's opinions, basically. Because I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, like I said, we've had similar journeys, but I think think the building a shield is, I think is quite an interesting one, Mm. because I think when I think about building a shield for me, it was about protection. It was mm. about keeping myself safe, making sure people didn't mm. hurt me and things like that. Um, but then there's also a sense of, on the other hand, appreciating that maybe people are saying things because they they either don't mean it or they're just behaving in a particular way that mm. actually isn't very respectful or or kind. But I, but for me, I think it still hurts. It still hurts. And I yeah. think I think I'm wondering you know because I think it's difficult sometimes to say well that's okay that's fine because you're still that wounded little girl or that wounded teenager Mm. who's had those experiences Mm. yeah and I think it's quite I think for our listeners out there I would imagine that for those that people that have been either bullied or those people Mm -hmm. who've had similar experiences to what you're describing um that actually it is quite difficult sometimes to let some of that go yeah but it feels like what you got was um camaraderie yeah absolutely good people around you and building your own unique support network Mm -hmm. would that be fair to say yeah absolutely absolutely and I think as well when I was finding it hard to connect with people because in my head I thought that I needed to be like them and I needed to 
uh, I needed approval, constant approval. And then I realized in my late twenties, when I look back at that, um, my teenage years and my early twenties, I was on constant high alert. I was never relaxed. Yeah. I was full of anxiety and it's because I cared mm -hmm. so much about what people thought of me. I couldn't be in a room and just be the quiet one and be like you'd be somebody that's just observing in the background. Yeah. I didn't want to be that person, but I also, I can come away from a party or a group of people and be like, oh, you, you overshared, you were too loud. You know, you, you were people, trying to be too funny. To you, you no, I was saying it to myself and my instant reaction for myself was to self-sabotage always. Yeah. It was like, it was my, um, it was like second nature to me to self-sabotage. I don't know if you, if you know what I mean. I yeah. Know exactly what I mean, and it's interesting. So, so obviously you're 33 now. Yeah. You have two children yeah. on your own. You're a school teacher. So when you look back on that time, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, mm. what, what advice would you have given her then? Because hindsight's good. Yeah. But we don't yeah. have it at yeah. the time, right? I would say you're good enough. You're good enough. Yeah. yeah. You're good enough and you're fine as you are. Mm. You'll, fi you'll find ways to connect in your own way. Um, and I would say I would look back to a time, for, for example, when I was 18. And I would say that stop pretending mm. you know because i would be hanging out with a group of people who i wanted to be like and you know drinking culture yeah. was very um was very big back then mm -hmm. it was the thing to do mm -hmm. you turn 18 you go out clubbing and i remember doing it and standing there and thinking this is not me but i'll carry on because i feel like i belong with a group of people mm -hmm. and they approve of me and they find me funny, they find me nice. And I just remember feeling completely lonely, mm. even though I had a group of in friends a crowd, in yeah. a crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I could be, yeah, I could be with a group of friends and everyone would be talking around me, but I would feel so alone because I was doing things that was not, mm. it wasn't me. And even now I realized that I, I would say to my younger self, like what would surface from all of the things that you're doing is you being a people pleaser, Yeah. growing up to be a people pleaser. And I would say that that then became my next problem. When I turned 21, mm -hmm. I was out in the world. I was in London. That was another hurdle for me mm. is being a people tell, pleaser. Tell me about that then, that people pleasing, what was going on for you there? I guess if you, now I realize that if you are seeking constant approval, you are gonna people please. Mm -hmm. It's going to be second nature for you. And what it was is I was avoiding conflict mm -hmm. and disappointment from anybody. I hated to see it. I hated to see anybody being let down by me, even the smallest thing, you know? 
And I would, I overstretched myself constantly trying to be this perfect person. I would say that that became very clear to me when I um, became a mother. Right. I had, I uh, got pregnant with my son when I, my first son when I was 24. And I'm very lucky that I met that their dad, so my partner now, is a very emotionally intelligent man. So he kind of saw me and loved me for who I am. And that helped so much. And I'm so glad that I am with somebody like that because yeah. I it's what I needed at that time. And he was always trying to reassure me that you are okay the way you are. It was always a constant reassurance. Mm -hmm. But then I was thinking, oh, maybe he doesn't want to be with me because he's having to reassure me all the time that I'm fine as I am. And, you know, it was always like, I'm not good enough for anybody. And then <clears throat> I thought, when I got pregnant, I thought, oh, well, this will fix everything. My maternal instinct will kick in. Yeah and having a baby and it's going to be cuddles and kisses a hundred percent of the time and i'm going to try and be a perfect mother mm -hmm. so my baby wasn't even born yet and i was already trying to people please <laughs> to yeah. please mm -hmm. my baby that wasn't even here yet and of course any mother would know that that's not the case <laughs> it can it's um it really tests you in absolutely the strongest of ways mm -hmm. and but it also awakened me because after he was born I overstretched myself so much to the point where I got postnatal depression because I was trying to be the perfect mother I was the woman exactly yeah and it, I still do it now really I have two boys now and I still do it now but now that I have this awareness mm -hmm. I I feel like I'm practicing conscious parenting yeah more so than trying to be mm -hmm. the perfect parent because the perfect parent doesn't exist so why am I trying to be something that nobody is in this entire world so but I do wonder though if that's just a symptom of wanting to belong and to fit yes, in. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and to be accepted and mm -hmm. all of those things. Mm -hmm. And so as you sit here today then, would it be okay if I was to ask, you know, do you accept yourself as you are now as a woman at 33? Um, I would say I'm 85% there, okay. yeah. And I remember at that time I would say that the really, really, um, I will always remember this moment is when my sadness about not being perfect basically got hold of me and I became depressed. And I went to the doctor and I was prescribed antidepressants. Uh, because I know, I know that um, medicine is necessary for a lot of things but I remember going home with this box of tablets and I was staring at it and I was staring at my baby and I was thinking hmm maybe I can go about this a different way yeah. maybe it's not a chemical imbalance maybe I am projecting 
-hmm. and um try um i am bringing this sadness to myself because of expectations of myself so i forgot the question jillian what no, was the was question yeah acceptance. and i think what you're saying is that actually you decided instead of taking antidepressants mm. what i picked up was that you said that you decided to think about well can i do this in a different way yeah so. and it's also being very very aware of the scary fact that you now have children and you now have a child that is gonna grow yeah. is gonna grow up and see you yeah. do what you do think and think the way you do and it's and I know that a lot of my unhealthy ways is from some of it was conditioning yeah. from when I was younger so it's now up to me to be able to know better really so when you I take it you chose not to take the antidepressants. No, I didn't yeah. take them. So you, you chose not to. So, mm. so in that moment, then, or in those moments afterwards, as you progress, as mm -hmm. your child started to grow up, your son started to grow up, how, what did you do? What was different then for you? I opened up more, and I spoke, um, and I didn't. I spoke to. I opened up with my friends and allowed myself to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I guess and. I started, um, when I allowed myself to be, to be vulnerable, things started happening and I thought, oh, people are not reacting how they thought that I would. So prime example, after you've had a baby, you don't always want visitors mm -hmm. in your house because you've just had a baby, everything's very overwhelming. And a lot of, and because I was 24, a lot of my friends didn't have kids yet. And I felt like, oh, again, nobody can relate to me. What, you know, do I now need to change myself and change my routine to please other people? I then allowed myself to be vulnerable. And I, when I spoke to my friend on the phone, I said, I'm really, I'm so tired. I, and the thing is, when I said that to a few of my friends, I was thinking, have you ever actually told your friends that you're tired when you are tired or did you always want to be this bubbly up for it person mm -hmm. and i remember saying i'm tired don't really want visitors right now and my my friends were like okay i understand and then i was like oh okay that, that's the end of that you know and then i would say to my partner don't feel like cooking today i'm tired mm -hmm. and he's like okay and before people please a jenny would be overstretching i mean i still people please now but what the what's different now is i am very aware of when i'm doing it yeah and it's weird isn't it when you become when you're when you're aware that you're doing something because it's all it's almost um what's the word for it it's almost scary i think because it's you feel like you feel like um it was second nature but really it was something that you were forcing mm -hmm for yourself yeah, yeah. I, I do agree with that and I think when you recognize that you're in that space I think for me what I've learned over the years is that there's this conscious choice yes so you can continue to do mm. it or you continue to do or you could do something different yeah and I think it's about having the courage or being bold or the faith or trust in yourself to know that if you if you decide not to people please mm -hmm. you become assertive you say what you need and what mm -hmm. you want and request those things in a good way, not yeah. in a demanding way, but in a good way, then you can actually have a different experience. Completely different experience. And you can yeah. live your life in a different way. Mm. So, so so as you're a teacher, you teach English yeah. at the moment. 
So you, what age do you teach? So 12 to 16. Right, so quite an important age then. Very important. I would say, quite mm. informative kind of stage for mm. those teenagers. Yeah. Or 12 moving into teenage years. So when you see your students, mm -hmm. even though they're only coming for a lesson or whatever mm -hmm. it might be, um, how do you use your knowledge or do you use your knowledge to help guide them? Well, I would say the most... Um, the most obvious one for me is when a pupil comes from a different country mm -hmm. and I see a lot of myself in them because I really relate to that feeling of alienation and you don't know whether you are shy mm -hmm. or whether you want to be confident, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to make new friends. And I try and pay attention to those pupils and let them know that you belong here mm -hmm. and you will find your way as you get older. Um, and teenagers are hilarious. I mean, <laughs> they really make me laugh every single day. And also I really notice that, especially with girls, mm -hmm. we are chameleons in nature. We do, we will try and change ourselves mm -hmm. to be able to get that boy that we fancy, you know, it's, it's very weird actually seeing that stage in front of me mm -hmm. every single day because I don't, for example, if I, there's a lot of um, people out there who'd never mix with teenagers and they might find these kids overwhelming and a bit, mm -hmm. you know, like silly in the way they behave, but I see them as, oh, this is a stage, this is a phase yep. and you will be okay. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, I try and let them know that you are good enough. I think that teenagers need to hear that. Yeah. It's a very, very, it's a very like poignant stage in your life yeah. because it's you you know not just hormones kicking in it is but it's it's you finding yourself i think it's really difficult as a teenager to really navigate so that and actually to navigate the landscape today yeah. in terms of what it is um and I'm, I'm i'm curious around you know what we can do to support because i know you're quite passionate about this so kind of what what would you recommend or suggest to either those people who are listening who've got children who are teenagers mm -hmm. who are trying to navigate themselves who are lost and mm -hmm. disconnected to either mm -hmm. themselves or people pleasing, all the things that you've described mm -hmm. today. What advice and guidance would you give them? The most important thing is to validate mm. their feelings because when you are dismissive of not dismissive is a strong word but when you don't don't validate mm -hmm. how teenagers feel and when they come to you with a problem that you might not see as an adult as a big problem oh they'll get over it listen mm. really really listen because i think that is your chance to connect yeah connection is so so powerful because if they cannot find connection in their parents or their guardian, they will seek connection elsewhere, in, mm -hmm. elsewhere mm -hmm. in 
unhealthy ways. Yeah. And especially with, because the internet is at full force now. Mm -hmm. It's at full force. And we can't always watch them and tell them that you, you shouldn't be watching that. Mm -hmm. They are going to watch it. But what we need to do is teach them the emotional intelligence of this, what you're seeing on your screen is not real. Mm -hmm. It's real in a sense that they are real people, but you are seeing the highlights of somebody's life. Yeah, you're not seeing the real version of it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, that's not me trying to be pessimistic about their life. Of course, you should be positive and have mm -hmm. ambition and want things for yourself. But if you cannot get right in here first, in your mind, mm -hmm then you will look for approval outside of you mm. instead of being right internally. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> Perfect sense. Yeah. Um, very true, I would say. Yeah, from yeah. my experience as well. And I think that's quite an important message actually to send out because even as adults, as we, we grow, I think, you know, when we've had those experiences when we're younger, especially in our kind of teenage mm. years, they do have, it does have a big impact on us and it makes us, Massive. it turns us into who we end up being mm. for a while until then we recognize that actually, this is maybe not how I want to be living my life and this is not really the true version of me. Mm -hmm. But but I think not everybody is, is aware. I, I think some of us get that awareness through the experiences that we have or whatever that might be, but a lot of us are not necessarily consciously aware and could still go through most of our adult lives in I was talking to somebody else the other day around this socialized mind where that belonging and fitting in is so so important that actually you'll never find your true self mm. or never stand out from the crowd because mm. that's just too scary and I think also it's very important to let children know from early that your it's in your nature, it's embedded in us to belong mm -hmm. and to want to feel needed. And I mean, there's a danger, there's a negative connotation to feel feeling needed all the time because I feel like I do meet people that have this, that, you know, have this huge capacity to feel needed and that, that comes, that proves a lot of, um, yeah. that can, attract a lot of negative things into your life as well, because then it's again, it, approval. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. And, you know, if, for example, a teenage girl comes to you and says that, I like this boy, but he's gone with this girl who is prettier than me. Mm -hmm. You have to validate that. You can't be dismissive about that because it's dangerous because then she goes away to believe that she needs to look a certain way to be liked by yeah. a boy like him. And I, but I do think that's one of the biggest challenges. And I've got a son, he's 20, coming up for 21. Mm. Um, so I've not had, although my brother has three teenage girls yeah. um, and I can see the challenges that they have and my friends have mm. girls and things like that. And, and I can see that the way social media is today, yeah. you know, you do have to look at it. Oh, we think we need to look a particular way yeah. or be a particular way or 
wear these particular outfits or whatever it mm. might be. That's always been the case. Without social media, when I look back at my day, and I'm 51 now, you know, we were still all trying to keep up with each other. Mm. And they're the cool girls. We've got to look like them. Mm. Um, you know, we have to have the shoes like them. We have to wear the, you know, roll up our school kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah. our school uniform, dresses, yeah. skirts, all to fit in again and to, to do all of those things. So I think, I think the difference is now, though, is that it's more wildly noticed yeah. because of social media and the internet and mm -hmm. all of those things. And I think it's more easily also to be trolled in much more of a public yeah. way than perhaps bullying or mm -hmm. non-acceptance or non-belonging scenarios might have been in my day, although that was bad enough. So so I suppose what, I, what I suppose I'm trying to get to here is that it's always going to be difficult for teenagers, male or female, with that belonging and acceptance. Yeah. So I'm wondering, just as we start to draw our conversation to close, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned that might be helpful for our listeners? I mean, I'm not quite sure how many teenagers listen to this <laughs> podcast, but certainly I know their parents will be. So so what would you say, especially if being a teacher as well and working with teenagers mm -hmm. all the time, what is the kind of the nuggets, the golden nuggets that you can share that would be really helpful? So I heard you say validate, you know, validate them yeah. is really important. I would say that that's number one. Number one. What else yeah. do you think you can offer and share? You need to get to know everybody that you interact with on a level of, it's, I think a lot of um, the problems that you were saying is it's from comparison. Mm -hmm. We compare yeah. ourselves to people a lot mm -hmm. and you can, no matter what this person looks like, what they have, and you're comparing to what you don't have, I think that you are not understanding, you need to try and understand that people, especially I'm, I'm talking specifically about social media here, is that they are sharing with you the, the happiest times in their life. And when you think about your own life, is 100% of your life happy? No, it isn't. Nope. But what grows you is those challenging times. Mm -hmm. How can you possibly seek to have a perfect life if you know that these challenges is what, what grows you and what you mm -hmm. can, um, I, think as, I think as well, like the message that I'm trying to say is that everything that you're going through now as a teenager and as a young person, you need to not savor in your hard and challenging times, but know that this will grow you. Yeah, this will make you maybe a better person. Absolutely. It will develop you, you'll learn from it, all of those things. Yeah. yeah. But what I'm also hearing is that actually, even though it's gonna be difficult for teenagers to share, but there's something about being honest with yourself yeah. and, and maybe not seeking perfection Mm -hmm. because we all know that perfection well we're not perfect mm. you described yourself as being a work in progress yeah, I, absolutely I always would, will yeah, be <laughs> and I, I would i would say the same for me as well and i think maybe that comes with age though and maybe experience mm. and i think perhaps when we're teenagers we yeah we we, we don't rationalize that because mm. i don't think we may be as we sometimes can't zoom out perhaps as we can yeah when we've we're a bit more mature and yeah. we've had more experiences yeah, exactly. in life yeah. and so maybe there's an opportunity there as well for for people to kind of say, well, okay, maybe perfection isn't what I should be seeking. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's just, it's something else. And also knowing the fact that perfection doesn't exist. Exactly. You have, you can be looking at it on your phone and thinking that's perfection, but it's absolutely not. It's a lie, <laughs> you know? Um, what you perceive 
to be perfect. For example, if let me give an example about jealousy. Mm -hmm. I've really, this is something that I've really, really um, cured myself from because now any time something triggers me to be jealous, I have this, um, it's kind of like a mantra in my life. So for example, if I meet somebody now and they have nicer hair than me, they have, um, a really good job. So for example, a millennial problem now, mm -hmm. 33 years, we are at this stage where we're getting our careers going. Yep. We are, everyone's having a baby. Mm -hmm. Everyone's buying a house, buying their first yeah. property. Everyone's getting married, you know, or getting engaged, whatever. If you find yourself comparing and being jealous mm -hmm. and thinking, why is it not happening to me? What I do is I take this person in all of the experiences that they come with. So their life, mm -hmm. their mom, their traumas, their dad, you know, everything. And I would have to completely swap my life with them because I'm thinking I can't pick bits of people that I would like for myself. That doesn't work. Mm -hmm. If you are going to be jealous of one thing, then that means you want to be that person. So do I want to be this person? So that means I never get to see my kids again. I'll never get to be my partner again. I To see my partner again. I don't get to have my job. I don't, I, I am that person in its entirety. Do I want that? Mm, probably not. Because what I'm jealous of is this one tiny thing. Yeah. So do you need to be jealous of that? Because somebody could look at you and be wanting a little part of your life, but knowing that you, we can't swap lives. You know what I mean? Like, I think that comparison is where it gets dangerous because you're kind of picking the yeah. tiny little details from people's lives and thinking, if I have all of those things from each person, I will have the perfect life. It's strange, isn't it? How how we, um, mm -hmm. I think I see that pattern with teenagers. Yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. And I think it's interesting because I think the comparison, the, the you know, compare and contrast piece is really unhealthy. Very unhealthy. But I think when we're in it, it's very difficult to get out mm. of it. And I think, again, what I'm hearing you say is that that is an opportunity for us to, again, to learn and grow and to appreciate and, yeah. and to maybe evolve our thinking a little bit because actually, mm. yeah, you're right. You can't take a snippet of here and a snippet of there and mm. all these kind of collections of everybody else's lives to make your life better. Mm. Because I think what I heard you say before, which I think is what you said, was that actually it has to come from within and you have Absolutely. to find that deeper happiness Absolutely. from within. Yeah. yeah. And just one last thing and that I want to add as well. If you find yourself, and this is speaking from a to a young person, if you find yourself in constant contention with your parent and thinking nobody understands me i think when you are not when you feel like you're not understood at home that's quite hard it's hard and you feel like nobody understands you and i remember feeling that at the time and i didn't really try to get to know my mom and when i did changed everything for me because I remember having one conversation with her and she told me about 
when she was 21, 22, and she met my dad and she had their relationship, they had their ups and downs. And she was, she told me about feelings of insecurity and anxiety and jealousy. And I remember it like something just clicked in me and I thought, wow, you really were my age at one point. Yeah. And I think a lot of young people forget that. Yeah. Forget that their parents were once their age and had their own battles and their own hurdles in life. And also the parents, you know, your mum's a human being. Exactly. Exactly. And it's and when you constantly have expectations of others, not just from your parents, yeah. but absolutely anybody, what that will surface mm -hmm. is disappointment because nobody is going to be a perfect person for you, just like how you can't be a perfect person for anybody else. Yeah. Once you awaken to that and accept that, mm -hmm. you connect with people in authentic ways yeah. and love them for who they are. You Not know? for what you think they should be. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. So how can people get hold of you if they want to find out more about what you do? Yeah. So I have a podcast, which I started this year. It's a bit difficult to be consistent with it because I do work, but um, I have a podcast called The Healing Snowflake. Nothing. So... I don't know if you're aware of snowflake. It's a derogatory term for my generation, yes, millennials. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to do, so my slogan says, learn, unlearn and relearn. Mm -hmm. And it will involve conversations like this. And just to give an example, my first interview was, my first episode was with my friend who's blind and he's been blind all his life. And with I spoke with his friend also and she became blind 15 years ago and she was a surgeon before mm -hmm. before she be she got this illness and these are two people that live life to the absolute fullest yeah. even though they have this disability and they still go out every day they still have jobs and they still see life in such a positive way mm -hmm. and for example, another example, my last episode, I spoke with um, a vicar. She's a female vicar and she talked about her life and her relationship with God. And that's for anyone who wants to explore yeah. uh, spirituality and religion in general. And yeah, it's just conversations like that. Conversations that you don't really, that you are almost too scared to have because it seems like it's something that you should know already, mm -hmm. but you don't but you want to look more deeper into. Lovely. Um, so just know yeah, again, the healing. The healing snowflake. snowflake. So right. I'm on across all social media platforms, Spotify, Great. YouTube and everything. Yeah. So our audience can find you there. Yeah. Lovely. That's been so nice talking to you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having me. Thank brilliant. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.